I got up, thunder and lightning, it was raining. My first thought was, I ain't getting up, I'm going back to bed and roll over, and then I realized I had to come. So, uh, but I'm glad you're here. We had a good crowd for the first service, pretty good crowd today, and we're glad, glad that you're here. I want you to take your Bible, and I want you to go with me to a wonderful book in the Old Testament, the book of Joshua, okay? And in a little while, we'll be reading some verses. If you've been with us, I remind you, if you're a guest today, I'll just share with you that we've been sharing some thoughts, talking about some thoughts on how to make 2013 uh, the best year spiritually we've ever had. We uh, talked about, first of all, that uh, the, the first thing on the agenda for this year is that God gets glory in what everything we do, right? If we can say at the end of the day, today God was glorified, then uh, we've done well. Number two, that no matter what we do this year, not just does God get glory, but the decisions I make, the things I do, are for the good of those I love the most. Man, if you'll make that covenant, I made that covenant with the Lord and that, uh, that I want Him to be glorified in everything that I do. And number two, that, that my wife would know that she's more precious than I am. And I have to be honest with you, I haven't always done that. I was talking to one of our members and, and God really impressed upon me as this year began that I've been awfully selfish uh, in my life. And a lot of the things in my life have been around Tom, not been around Paula and uh, the kids always. Of course, uh, now that I'm a grandpa, I sure is a lot around the grandkids, you know. But I made a covenant at the beginning this year that, God, I want you to be glorified in my life, but I want to do good to those that I love the very most. And, uh, and then number three, that no matter what I do and no matter where I go, and no matter what we do as a church, that we always show grace to those that are lost. Let me tell you what I want to do this morning. I want to look at one of my favorite Bible characters, and I want to look at a man who most of his life, he lived in the shadow of probably Israel's greatest leader. And yet, when he was called by God to step up, when he was called by God to step out, he gave himself to something bigger than himself. And gang, let me just tell you that, that I think the mark of spiritual greatness is not in preaching great sermons. We try to do that. We want to do that. We want you to leave out of here saying, boy, that was good, okay? The mark of spiritual greatness is not teaching great lessons. And I want to tell you, your Sunday school teachers want to do that. They work hard all week, and then they still have to prepare a lesson. They want to be good at what they do, but that's not the mark of spiritual greatness. The mark of spiritual greatness is not playing instruments well or singing well, although we sure want to do that, don't we, Carrie? You want to, you want to bang the drums good, don't you, brother? You know, I know your heart. I believe that the, the mark of spiritual greatness is when you're willing to be honest with yourself and say, God, I want to give myself to something bigger than myself. And today as we study the life of Joshua, we're going to find a man that lived his whole life in the shadow of another man. Uh, the book of Joshua details out his life and his leadership, and yet the name Moses is mentioned over 50 different times. I'm not sure the cat ever got outside the shadow of Moses, okay? And yet when it was his time, when it was his moment, he stepped up. He wholly followed his God. He honored God in his life. 
and his life now is remembered for us as a wonderful great leader of the nation of Israel. That kind of tells us that insecurity is never a reason for not following wholly after God. There came a time in the life of Joshua when Moses was no more, and God had a man waiting. He stepped up, he stepped out, and he led the the nation. When we study his life, we find that it was a test of faith for him, but it was more than that. It was a glorious opportunity to put life in motion. He gave himself to something bigger than himself. And dear people, men, especially you leaders of your family, ladies as well, I want to challenge you today to make a covenant that you're willing to give yourself to something much greater than yourself. Now, the fact of the matter is, none of us will ever probably be called to the level of responsibility that Joshua did. He led millions of Jews. He had to lead them into the new land. He had to defeat the enemy. He had to claim the promise of God. But I want you to listen to me. While I'll never have that kind of responsibility, and while you will never have that responsibility, as a husband and a father, as a wife and a mother, as a young person growing as a Christian who believes in God, your calling is the same as Joshua. God decides the levels of leadership. God decides where he places us. But the call on your life and the call on my life is the same as the call on Joshua's life, that we be willing to give ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. And that's going to be my challenge to you today. I tell you, I love Joshua. I said he's one of my, my, my favorite Bible characters I can't wait to get to heaven to see him. I, I'm telling you, I, he's one of the first dudes I want to see. And, and my hope is, when my, my hope is that, that he's five foot eight, that, that he's a little fluffy around the edges, that he has a, a weird-shaped nose, and that he's a little bit ADD, okay? We'll see when we get there. Let me, let me tell you what I, I want to do today. I, before I read the passage, I want to lift out some things that I saw and give those to you first. That way when we read the passage, maybe you'll, you'll see where I'm coming from. And then after I share five or six things with you, we're going to stand and read the passage. And then I'm going to share with you quick, three quick things to, to maybe take out of here and to chew on, okay? So just kind of listen to me for a moment, okay? Number the first thing that I, I got from Joshua 1, 1 through 9 was there, there's always a season for the man of God. We're going to read that the Bible tells us that Moses, my servant, is dead. And what I want you to understand, first of all, is that God may bury the workman, but God never buries the work. And the season that you have is just that. It's a season. It's a moment in time that God has set for you 
to do his calling and to give yourself to something bigger than yourself. Now, I don't know where you are in life. You may be at the, at the startup mode. You may be at the very beginning. You may be a young person getting ready to go to college, or you may be a, a young adult getting ready to get married. But you're just beginning the journey in a sense. This is your moment. This is your season in that area. Seize it. Don't lose it. You may be the 50-ish age. You may be in this transition mode in your life. You may not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. This is your moment. I want to encourage you to seize the moment, to give yourself at 50 to something larger and better than yourself. You may be somewhat like me. Maybe in a little bit later, maybe uh, early fourth quarter. I'm not in the two-minute drill. But maybe you're in that stage where I'm at, where there's a little extra transitioning going on. The kids are grown now, and they're gone. And you and your bride are now trying to figure out how we're going to dance together for the rest of our lives. What are we going to do as we see the sags and the wrinkles and the hair turning gray or turning loose? How are we going to navigate through that? Let me tell you, this is your moment. Seize it. Don't, dear people, don't give yourself to something smaller than yourself. Give yourself where you are right now in your life to something greater than yourself. And if you do, let me tell you, here's what I promise if you study Scripture. Here's what I can promise you. You'll die satisfied. You'll die happy. You'll die content. You'll die. When your season's over, you'll die smiling. Let me give you a statement that I, I think is important. And I don't know where, like I said, where you're at in, in life and things are going, but let me tell you something I wrote down, and I put a star by it. It's never about yesterday. It's always about tomorrow. You hear me? In your life, in your relationship, wherever you're at in life, dear people, it's never about yesterday. Those Balls and chains of yesterday. All that baggage of yesterday. All those mistakes and pains. And it's never about yesterday. When you studied the Word of God and you looked at the lives of the men and women that God used, it's always about tomorrow. God gives us a season. And I want to tell you, I intend to make the most of the season that God has given me. There's a second thing I got from the text. Whatever God calls you to do, it will always be larger than you think you're capable of doing. That's why it takes faith. Now, oftentimes it's hard to distinguish between a test and an opportunity. Oftentimes it depends on how we react to it or how we seize the moment, or if we're willing to step beyond our comfort zone. We have a young man in our church who went out visiting with a couple of our guys just a week or so ago. And uh, it's something he said he knew he needed to do, but he was scared to death to do it. He said, man, that's not my comfort zone. But he did it. 
And the idea was, I can't do it. But he did it. And whatever God calls you to do, fact is, you're probably thinking you can't do it, but you can. I can't be a husband. I can't be a daddy the way I'm supposed to be. I can't be a man of God the way I'm supposed to be. Whatever God calls you to do, it'll be beyond your ability. That's why it takes faith. That's why he alone will get the glory from it. The problem is not God, men. The problem is us. We're not willing to surrender. We're not willing to give up. We're not willing to submit to who God is. Number three, and this kind of took me a little bit to get my head around, okay? The third thing I wrote down is this, warriors can be worshipers too. Think about it. Warriors can be worshipers too. It may sound weird, but Joshua, like some of the others, David, and there were warriors. I mean, if you read that history time, it was a barbarous time in a lot of ways. These guys were barbarians. They were warriors. But you know what they did? In the course of their, in the, in, of their life, they stopped. And they built altars. And they worshipped God. Warriors can be worshipers. And those who live for something bigger than themselves are not passive. Guys, they're not wimps. They're not patsies. They have strong blood pumping through their veins. They're tender warriors because they know that God is stronger and God is mightier. They know where, where the source of their strength comes from. It comes from God. The fourth thing that I picked up was this. You must account for your seasons. You must prepare for the enemy. You must listen for the call of God. And you must be able to distinguish that which is of highest priority in your life. And oh, dear God, I wish that old Tom could turn the clock back just a little bit. If I could turn the clock back, I'd love on my wife a whole lot more. If I could turn the clock back, I'd spend less time at church and more time at home. If I could turn the clock back, I'd scrounge up some money even if I had to rob a bank and take a few more vacations. I wouldn't go in debt, though, to spend with my kids. You see, dear people, we all have to account for the seasons that God gives to us. If you study Joshua, he had only three responsibilities. Number one, he had to lead the people. Number two, he had to defeat the enemy. Number three, he had to claim the promise of God. Lead the people. Men, God has given you a wife. Maybe he's given you kids. And he expects you to lead them. There's an enemy out there that wants to destroy him. You better know who your enemy is. And you better know what the promises of the Word of God is. Not this Tommy Rot that's going around today. Not all this feel-good junk that you can get on any TV at any time 24-7. I'm talking about the promises that we find in the Word of God. That which is true and holy and righteous. That which honors the Lord God. Claim that promise. People, you got to count 
for the seasons of your life. Number five, as a believer, we live on expectations, not explanations. That's very important here. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe that we're saved through the blood of Christ according to the elective grace of God, not according to our own works of righteousness. As believers, we must live on the expectations that God gives to us, not on the explanation. We live on the promises from the Word of God, not the well-laid-out plans of humanity. Joshua was told what to do when it was time to do it. He had already committed his life to wholly follow after God. So must we, because we know in the end it will be worth it. And then number six, okay? This is all introduction. Number six, whatever he calls you to do, God always beats you there. In verse three, we're going to read, every place you put your feet, I've already given it to you. That's past tense, okay? Whatever God calls you to do, he always beats you there. God will never ask you to be a daddy if he hasn't already got there ahead of you. He'll never ask you to be a husband if he hasn't got there ahead of you. He'll never call you to be a servant of God if he's not there ahead of you. He'll never call you to live the Christian life if he doesn't give you the power and the strength to live that Christian life. Amen? All right, well, let's stand. Let's read the first nine verses. Let me share three things with you from that, okay? Now, it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Let me... I did this in the first, it's not my notes, it's, but let me, let me say this. Um, um, I said it in the first service, so I, I hope you understand where I'm coming from on it. I said to you that God gives us a season, you've got to be accountable to the season, right? There came a time in Joshua's life when he heard that Moses, my servant, is dead. I can tell you churches right now that won't let the old preacher die. I can tell you a church right now, wonderful, wonderful church, that somebody in that church ought to stand up before that people and say, oh, so-and-so is dead. Let them die. And I want you dear people to know that I love what I do. And I hope I do it for a lot of years. In fact, I bought a truck. I got to pay for it, okay? So don't fire me. I want to do it for a lot of years. But as I studied through this passage, I said, God, when the season is over, when the time is right, give me the guts to stand up and say, Tom, my servant is dead. Now, Indian Springs, get up and cross this river and go forth to conquer and lead defeat the enemy, and claim the promise of God. So many people keep trying to resurrect dead preachers and they miss the wonderful future God has. 
What verse was I on? Two. Okay. Yeah, number three. Every place, this is, this is incredible. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Just as I spoke to Moses. There's Moses again. Three times already in the first three verses we find Moses. Poor guy. From the wilderness, he explains it now. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun is going to be your territory, Joshua. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I have been with that guy who's dead. I'll be with you. I'm not going to fail you. I'll never forsake you. Now, notice three times he's going to say, Hey, Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my, Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, why? So that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Oh, but you shall meditate on it, Joshua, day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it because it'll make your way prosperous. That's not materially. It'll make your way prosperous. You're going to have success. And then the last time he says, have I not commanded you? Oh, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Oh, people, the Lord your God, the Lord your God, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Father, in these next few moments, help us to understand what's happening here with Joshua. Help us to somehow, God, get our head inside his head to understand his emotions, what's going on, and what you're doing in his life so we, we might understand in our life what you're doing and how if we do it the way he did it, We'll give ourselves to something so much bigger than ourselves. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, be seated. Okay, keep your Bibles open. Let me, in my prayer, I mentioned that, that, that I want us to look at this, if we can, through the eyes of Joshua, through, through the perspective of Joshua, okay? Now, if you look at verse 1 and 2, the first thing I saw here is the reality of it. In other words, it seems to me that Joshua all of a sudden is confronted with the reality, and he says, i got to do this. God's calling me. I don't have any choice. i got to do it. Joshua knew it was his moment. It's what he'd been trained for for all of his life. Those 40 years in the desert, that was the time of discipline and judgment perhaps on the people. That was the university. For Joshua, all those 40 years, Joshua was in preparation for what God was going to do through his life. In fact, if you 
read back in Deuteronomy, you find that the very words that God said to Joshua here are the very words that Moses said to him just a little bit earlier. Now, I think what's happening is this. Joshua, maybe on a hill, I don't know, he, uh, he's confronted with God. He looks over his shoulder, and he sees millions of Jews, okay? And he knows them pretty well. They've been known to grumble. They've been known to murmur. Sound like Southern Baptist, doesn't it, you know? They've been known to mumble and grumble and murmur. They wanted bread, and God gave them bread. They got tired of bread. They wanted meat. God gave them meat. They got tired of meat. So they just never were happy. They didn't like the water at this place, so they grumbled about the water in the next place. And Joshua's looking over them and thinking, yeah, Moses is dead. You know? And then he looks out over into the new land. And the Bible, if you read Joshua, the, it was flood season. I mean, it was like the Mississippi flooding its banks on the other side because he knew what was on the other side. Man, there were cities, strong enemies that were giants. And God says, hey, that million back there, take them, cross the river, and defeat the enemy. Sick them. Now let me tell you what I think the challenge was for Joshua here. It was a challenge of ability. God is calling. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not Moses. But I must, for God is calling. And dear people, when you think you can't, or when you want to quit, it's at that point you become qualified. You know, you might have things like this going down. I can't provide for my family. I can't be the husband that God expects me and my family deserves me to be. I can't be that good of a dad. I can remember in college thinking, oh, I don't know that I could ever be a guy that could have a wife and children. I don't know how I'll ever make any kind of, I mean, I'm a dummy. How am I ever going to make any kind of money? You may be thinking, you know, I don't know how to be a Christian. Man of God, forget it, preacher. I can't even, don't even know how to live as a Christian, see? I don't think I can handle it. Congratulations. You disqualified for God to get glory in your life. I want to show you a verse. Guys are going to throw it up there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We want to, I want to read it together because it's an, it's an incredible passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, For consider your calling, brethren that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus. Gang, listen, you're not saved because of your doing. You're not saved because of your good deeds. You're not saved because you're good. You're not good enough to save yourself. But you're saved according to 
his doing in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I can't do this. Yeah, but God can. It takes a little faith, and God gets a whole lot of glory. I think Joshua here had to come to terms with reality. And I want to suggest to you, my dear people, that you've got to come to terms with reality as well. Where you are, the way you're constructed, with your personality quirks and all of those things, those tendencies that you're prone toward, the, the weaknesses that you may be dealing with in your life, all those things, you got to look in the mirror and say, you know, here's what I am, God. Through you I can do all things. Strengthen me. Call me. Because I can't, but you can. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but let me just share. I'm the most unlikely person to ever be a pastor. I'm the most unlikely person to be a preacher. Some of you know my testimony. My 20s were very difficult years. When I went to college, I, uh, in the major that I was in, I had to take speech. And I want to tell you, I, I had never been so afraid. When it came time for me to stand up before my peers and share my speech, I ran out of the class. And I dropped the course, and I changed my major. A bumbling, tongue-tied, bumbling guy. I still get tongue-tied, don't I? Put up tongue-tied, don't I? And yet God had another idea about my life. Do you want to know what I've learned about God? I've learned that God is always faithful to his call on our life. The calling of God is irrevocable, folks. And so whatever God calls you, if you got a wife, God gave you the wife. If you got kids, God gave you the kids. You can do it. God gives you the ability. All right, second thing, and I kind of mentioned it. Or look at verse 5. The second thing was not just the reality of it, but the reassurance of it. Man, I think verse 5 is incredible. You know, when God calls you to do whatever he calls you to do, he's already been there. Already been there. He's already been there. He never leaves you alone. If he calls you to preach, preach. Calls you to teach, teach. Calls you to serve, serve. I said in the first service, he may have called you to be a widow or a widower. If he has, do it well, because God never leaves you alone. He never calls you to do something that he didn't give you the ability to do. Now, I think the challenge here is a challenge of allegiance. You see, who are we going to follow? Do we follow ourselves? Do we follow our fear? That doesn't work. Do we follow the world's way that so many seem to be content to follow? Those in the church seem to be following the world. The biblical worldview seems to be thrown out. We know the world's way doesn't work, does it? I mean, if there's one thing we ought to know in the society in which we live today is that the world's way does not work. Hello? 
You know, it, folks, it's not working. They call it the economy. They can call it whatever. It's not working, and yet so many choose the world's way. Do we follow that way? Do we follow other people's way? Or does God get our allegiance? Even if we don't know how it's going to happen, are we willing enough to follow God's way, to watch him work it out? Joshua says, God, just like I was with Moses, I will be with you. And I want you to know, my dear people, that's true for you today as well. And then the last thing, in verse 6 through 9, and look at it as I talk about it, then we're through. There's a responsibility of it. Did you notice here that God tells Joshua three times to be very strong and very courageous? I don't think Christianity is for the weak at heart. I think Christianity for those who have a backbone, but those who are willing to step forth and be faithful and be committed and be consistent in their life. I, can I just share my heart? Can I just, I'm going to do it. Don't. So many people wonder why their lives are falling apart and they never line up under God's authority. And they wonder what's going on. It's not rocket science, folks. God told Joshua, Joshua, there's three things here that you need to be strong and very courageous about. Verse 6, there's a promise here. Claim it. There's a, verse 7, there's a plan. Obey it. Verse 9, there's a protection. Believe it. This is the challenge of authority. Who are we going to obey? Who are we going to submit to? Who are we going to surrender to? Our urges, other people, or God. The victory belongs to those who obey the one with all authority. People, life comes down to authority. Who we submit to. We have an authority crisis in our nation today. Do you believe that? Sure you do. And it's prevalent in the Christian community as well. It boils, listen, you can either live your life under authority or you live your life outside of authority. You can't do it both. And as the believers in the Lord Jesus who has given the word of God, his revelation, self-disclosure of himself to us, we cannot make life work. That's Why does Andrew have to spend hours dealing with people's lives? The reason he does, Andrew, say amen. It'll help me when I'm through. Not yet, not yet, in a minute. The reason you do is because instead of lining up under the authority of God's word, they live outside the authority of God's word. Louder. Thank you. Listen, I was talking to, a, several years ago, I was talking to a couple, and life was just hell for them, man. I'm telling you, they were at each other's throat. I'm just glad they didn't bring a gun. It was bad. Everything wasn't working. And they couldn't understand why it wasn't working. And yet everything in their life was outside the Bible. And I was trying to figure out, well, how, do I, how, do they, how do I tell them? And so I said this. If you were God, 
would you bless your life? And the guy just looked at me like, huh? I said, think about it. If you were God, would you bless your life? Would you bless someone who lives like you live, does what you do, never ever worships God? There's no spiritual consistency in your life at all? You guys slam each other? I mean, it's like war, the, that wrestling mania thing, you know? It's not hard. If you were God, would you bless you? And all of a sudden, the light come on. And he said, no. Then I said, why do you think God should bless you? Why are you doing it all wrong? Don't you think God knows the right way and the blessed way? You see, it's a matter of authority in our life. Who are we going to live under? What direction are we going to follow, you see? I jotted down here. God's promises are true. His plan is right. And his protection is strong for those who trust him. And in the Bible, the word trust is not some kind of a feeling. Trust is not some kind of an awareness. Trust in the Bible is, a, is, a, is not a scent. It's a surrender. It's a giving up. Instead of doing it your way or the world's way or somebody else's way, it's a surrender to doing it God's way. And when you do it God's way, dear people, you're living under the one who has all authority. The one that can snap his finger and take you out or snap his finger and make your life an incredibly blessed life. I had something happen to me the other day. And I'll close. How much? Oh, man, we got 10 minutes. I, I'll close with this. I had something happen to me the other day. I, uh, I got up the morning after my birthday. And I looked into the mirror, and I saw this guy, and it hit me. You now, Tom, qualify for Social Security. You don't think that'll mess your head up? Wait till you're 62. I'll tell you what, I told her staff, this is weird, you know. And over the course of the last several weeks, my, my wife and I have been talking a lot. I mean... You know, when the kid, when, 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 when things start sagging, you know, wrinkles start and hair turns gray or falls out, depending on your genes, things change. And, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to dance the rest of our life, you know? And that's what you've got to do too, right? Whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever, you've got to figure out how you're going to dance through this thing. So we've been doing a lot, a lot of talking, you know? And, 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 and this... I'm not going to say that because I haven't shared with my wife yet. No, I mean, don't, don't go there, okay? It's cool. But I want to tell you what I did all alone. I did what I just said at the beginning. I reaffirmed what I said at the beginning of the year. God, I want you to be glorified in Tom this year. 
I want to do good to my wife. And I want to do good to my kids. I want to do good to my grandkids. I want to do good to my church where God allows me to serve. And God, when I walk down the streets of Bryant, when I live my life, I want the lost to know that I'm in love with Jesus, you see. Until the season is over. And when the season is gone, I'll take my leave. Joshua's call was no different than your call. No different. It's to give yourself to something greater than yourself. And when you do that, I promise you, when you get old and qualify for Social Security, you'll be able to smile along the way. Father, I love you. And God, I thank you that whatever you call us to do, you've been there and you give us strength. You help us along the way. And we know it takes a little faith, a lot of faith, really. But we know there's only one person who gets the boasting. And it's Jesus Christ in him alone. For my dear people on this day, being here on a rainy Sunday, oh God, I pray you'll challenge their spirit to give themselves to something greater than themselves. That their allegiance might be to you, their authority will be yours, and they'll know that the ability that they have will come from you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. And-